We will be in verses 6 and 7, but before we pray, uh, I just want to give ourselves, give you an opportunity to just have a little bit of a, I'm going to call it a CBC family moment, where as your pastor, I just chit-chat with you. There's nothing to do with the sermon, uh, and this is not even like a freebie or whatever you want to call it. It's just we have to have a little chit-chat. So saying that, um, God has blessed us in so many ways here at CBC, not only by giving us the Word of God, but by giving us people that continually desire to know the things of God. He's given us people that as they come here desiring to know the things of God, have children, they also have multiple family members and things like that. As we try to be faithful, pursue after the things of God in a lost and dying world, we do certain things here called ministries, and there's ministry opportunities all around us. And it can be very easy to slip into the, I show up on Sunday, and then we hear the Word of God, and then we move on, and church does not function outside of your little interaction with it. There are multitudes of opportunities all around you for you to use the gifts that God has given you. Um, there have been some of you now that have been here for over several years, things like that, and as I would like to encourage you, it's kind of time to get off the bleachers into the game. And so in, to show you how I care more about the ministry than I do the time we're doing this, in your bulletins there's a date when we're doing this. It's in August, and I think it's something with the two. It's just in my mind. Because the thing is, as a pastor, I'm here on Sunday anyway, so we're doing it whether you're here or not. What is it? The 20, 27th, right? All right. So on the 27th, we're going to have... All of the ministries and opportunities, and you would call them areas where we need help. Uh, and literally, we're going like, as we see that what God is calling us forward, we need people that God has gifted to step into those areas of ministry and help out. So whether you want to call it a ministry fair, whatever you want to call it, we're just, ministry opportunities are here. We're not going to try to like twist your arm or anything. We're not going to say you can't leave until your name is signed up or anything like that. We're not doing that at all. We want willful and cheerful people that are following after God. But here's what I'm asking you to do. We do not keep track of this next to your membership line or anything else like that. I want to make sure we're clear on that. But we want you guys to start praying at how can God use your talents for the furthering of the kingdom of God coming up. And on the 27th, uh, which is a Sunday, uh, you guys will have an opportunity to see the ministry needs. Because I would honestly encourage you, if you want to say, how do we best remain faithful in the, in the Christian walk? Number one, you need to be coming to get church to be gathering and interacting with the body of believers. Number two, you need to have a time throughout the week that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is pouring into your life. And on the last one is a time where you're actually using those things that He has taught you for the furthering of the kingdom of God. And so I'd encourage you to use that time because... We're really excited what God has for us together. Um, Pastor Caleb and I cannot do it all. Neither would you want us doing it all. You'd already get sick and tired of seeing us doing it all because we can't. All right. And so we'd love for you guys to, in a way, partner with us in the gospel as we move forward. So that all being said, Genesis chapter 3. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we're about ready to open your word. This is a time that we need to take seriously. This is a time that we, by your grace, need to remove all of the things that so easily entangle us and understand that we are literally hearing the very Word of God being read, the Word of God explained, and then as followers who claim to be people who love the Word of God, who love to hear it, may we be obedient as well to what it's called us to. 
as we look at the deceitfulness of sin, to open our eyes to see how deceitful it truly is. And also may we see then how beautiful the way, the truth, and the life is that you have called us to. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, in the scheme of, if you want to call it, the large understanding of Christianity, if you were to take Christianity, and I'm going to say, speak in very general terms about the idea of Christianity, there are basically two parts, or if you want to call it two sides, of the Christian understanding that would call themselves Christian. We're not here to argue, depending on what side you are, are you really a Christian or not, but there are two wings in the Christian movement. One would be considered the liberal or progressive wing, and there'd be another wing called the conservative. I'm not talking politically. I'm talking about understanding the Bible. But as we do this, this is why, as we're about ready to talk about this, this is why we're taking two whole teaching opportunities, one in the fall and one in the winter, to walk through how does liberalism impact Christianity and the way of thinking. So I'm going to help you define that because I'm going to say, you're going to go, what does this have to do with sin? Well, you're going to see it rather quickly. In the progressive liberal movement of Christianity, they view the moral laws and the commands that are found in the Bible, they view them as not being from God. They view them as just old stories, myths, legends of ancient Bible times. So they kind of treat the Bible as a respected book, but just one that is filled with ancient writing. So what is left then is a Bible that is filled with fables and good principles to be lived by. So you just come to the Bible and you read the stories because they didn't really happen. They're just kind of like your fables, kind of like your good old things that we would read as you would read anything like Homer and the Odyssey or anything else like that. So then sermons at these churches are nothing more than fluffy thoughts wrapped in fluffy fluff because down at the end of the day, you're really a good person. Uh, you might have seen, this was going around, there was a very liberal, progressive church that came up with their own creed, and literally their own creed. They labeled it as the Sparkle Creed. And it is incredibly, I would argue, blasphemous as they're working down through this Sparkle Creed. But it is literally fluff replaced with fluff wrapped in fluffy fluff, and there's no substance. So then when it comes to sin, sin is not rebellion against God, but literally just a bad choice that can be easily overcome with a spiritual hug. We just hug it out. So what rules the day in this type of church setting? Emotions rule the day. And the church's job is to progressively make the Bible match the morals of the day. So you take the morals of the day and then you just push it down through here because at the end... We don't really treat the Bible as the Word of God because we've already concluded that it is a bunch of myth and fairy tales and everything else. That's one side. Now, conservative Christianity. The morals and the laws and the commands of God are given to the people of God as a standard for life, an immovable standard for life. The Word of God is true, and everything that it says happened actually happened. The power of the sermon is not from the tool giving it, but the power is in the text because the power is literally the very Word of God and it is the final authority. So what the Bible teaches about morality is not determined by popularity, but by the unchanging standard and the Word of God. So then the church's job is to stand firm as a beacon of the truth pointing the world in that direction. Now you may say that feels like two extremes. It literally is. But this is what we see all over the place. 
And one of the things that sadly is winning the day in Christianity, not because of its truthfulness, but because it gives man the freedom to do literally whatever he wants, is progressive liberal Christianity, but it is a, literally a killing Christianity because there is no standard to draw people to. Literally, the standard is you, what you feel. And all of a sudden, when we're confronted with the standard of God's Word, we see where the battle rages. So, saying all of that is going to get us to this point. If we review back at the lie of Satan in Genesis chapter 3, we will see that the lie of Satan to Eve has gone like this. God commands, and He even gives the consequences for those disobedience. So here's what has happened. God has commanded, don't eat of the tree, right? He's even said, if you eat of the tree, here's the consequence, you will die. But the lie is, at the end of the day, here's what Satan's trying to convince Eve of. Humans get to decide what is right and what should be obeyed and even what should be the consequences of their behavior. That is what Satan is tempting Eve. The final authority is you, not the Word of God. So with that ringing in her ears, that the final authority is God, no, sorry, the final authority is you, not God. The final decision about even what happens is even up to you. God's command isn't really that important. He doesn't really have what is best for you. Ringing in her ears, let's get to our text. So when the woman saw Verse 6, that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What we're going to see here, first and foremost, how the way sin attacks. What is an attack? Sin is attacking continually. And I want you to notice the verbiage. The verbiage here again is, remember, God has given man many good things, and Satan's attack is to take the good things of God and say that they are not good, that they are actually bad, because remember, Satan is not a creator. He can only take what God has already made and get you to believe that it's really not for your good. And so now here, the allurement is here. Before we get even deeper into the text, I want to give you, and this is out of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, the way sin attacks the very foundation of our lives. Sin is not something that we just make a bad choice. Sin literally comes in and destroys the very foundation of our way of thinking. And so what I want to walk through here is how sin attacks the very foundation of our lives. Number one, or A, or whatever, it attacks the base of our knowledge. Sin attacks and it blinds us to what is actually true or even what reality is. Because this is what Satan is trying to say, is God really and then fill in the blank. Really the truth? Is He really defining reality for you? Or is there a different reality? Is the allurement. Not only is the basis of our knowledge of how do we know what we know, there's the basis for moral standards. Not only how do we know what we know, but how do we know what is right? Because what is right or what is the ultimate standard is really the question here. Is it God? Or woman, is it your own rational way of thinking? Because we see it here in verse 6. Notice her rationale. She saw that the food was good, she saw that it was a delight, and she saw that it was something to be desired. And those were all she needed to do what? Rebel against Almighty God. 
Society that we live around us right now is pushing to say, so what is the moral standard? Because when you remove the moral standard of the Word of God, you have to come up with a moral standard. And we all know that it really doesn't work well for each one of you to have your own moral standard because we know that that's not sustainable. And so we like to use words that sound a little bit biblical, which are not used at all in how we use them. And right now we bow down to the God, not the God of idolatry so much in this situation, we're bowing down to the God of love. And we just wrap it up in love because remember, you read John, what does John tell us? That God is love, and so if you use love, it's like as Christians we like, I don't know how to respond to that. And so you go, you can sin as long as you have love. And you're like, is that really the answer to all of our struggle? You know, what, what helps us understand our moral standard is love. And you could even add, if you want to, that consent. As long as you have love and consent, you got your moral standard. And we look at that and go, that's not sustainable. Because the whole thing shifts. And we know that. Here's something I would love for you to think through. You know the people that love the letters of the alphabet, the alphabet soup thing, all right? And they have put a plus at the end of the alphabet soup, all right? No one believes in that plus. I don't care how woke they are, they do not believe there's a plus. You keep pushing them. They will get to a point where they say, no, that's irrehensible. And you go, so you're not plus. But it is a lie of Satan that in order to be woke, you have to have a never-ending plus. Just keep asking them, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? And the more debased it gets, the more they're going to go, I don't know about this. You go, already your whole idea crumbled that there is a plus. But we're continually attacked as a culture. Is this really true? Is this really right? And so the best way to get people to follow after sin, the best way that Satan is doing it, he's taking the words of God and wrapping them around a lie because it sounds really, really good. And if the church is not alert or sober, I think we spend a lot of time in 1 Peter. And how did 1 Peter tell us? To be what? Gird up your loins, be alert, be sober, because your adversary walks around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Not to nibble on, but to devour. And so if you're not alert, if you're not paying attention, you fall prey to biblical-sounding phrases that are wrapped around a lie, and you ingest it all, and you wonder, how did we get here? And I would go, we got here by a slow, gradual slide. What did sin also attack? Sin also attacked the very basis of humanity. What does is, what is Satan tempt her with? God doesn't want you to have this because if you were to have this, you would be like God. So literally, sin attacks the basics of your identity. Am I a human or am I God? Am I a create creator or a creature? And the answer to that is you are a creature created in the image of God. But remember, we are so tempted to bow down to the lie of self-autonomy that it's all up to you. We literally live in a day and age where this line of thinking is starting to reach its ultimate conclusion. That you are the one who determines it all. So literally, you, cannot, you can sadly deny your own humanity and act like an animal and the world does not even know how to look at you and say, you're not a cat or you're not a dog. Because the person looks and says, well, that's what I think I am. And we would say, no, you're not. 
because the, ultimately the last one there is sin literally is attack at the basis of rationality because sin by itself is irrational. We need to think through this, believer as well, we need to think through this, that sin in its very base form is irrational because here's what it's saying. Satan knows better than God. For all of us in this room that are followers of God, when we sin, we are literally saying this way is better than God. What Satan has to offer is better, more satisfying than what God has to offer. Because what we are saying is that disobeying God is actually for my good. This is why when you look at the, at the Bible, look at all through Proverbs, what does Proverbs call the sinner? A fool. Because sinning is irrational. But to the sinful mind, sinning is what? Rational. Because we can rationalize it all the time. The greatest lie is this. The lie of sin is that there is greater enjoyment in sinning than not sinning. The lie of sin is that there's greater enjoyment in sinning than being obedient to God. This is really where it is left at. And I know we sang last week, do you trust Him? And literally, you could argue, what did we learn today? Is Do you really trust Him? Do you really take Him at His word? Or do you not? Because look at the desire verbiage that is all over the place. Because some of the most addicting sins are the desire sins. And look at the way Eve, as she has now been, her knowledge has been attacked, her moral standard has been attacked, she is literally now not thinking rationally. Because literally she has one command, and the one command is do not eat of the tree. But she's standing there, she's looking at it, and sin is starting to overcome her ability to understand and see. And so what does she see? What should be, if she's a follower of God, truly would be undesirable is now what? Desirable. And then the rationale behind it, she saw that the, that the tree was good for food. That tree is not good for food. <laughs> that tree is good for nothing, if you want to put it that way. But the sin lie is, this is where it's all about. Not only that, but it was a delight to her eye. The allurement of this. And I would argue that the reason why she thinks it's good for food and a delight to her eye, because I would say she has stopped using her mind. She is just responding emotionally right now to the sin struggle. Because if she really paused and truly thought about it, you would go, dumb idea, right? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when we look at the world around us and we watch all of these people literally freaking out about so many things, and you look and go, just be rational for a second. Just if you just listened, this would not happen. And we look at that, but because it's a blindness of sin, even what they think is rational, those of us who know Christ look at that and say it's irrational, but yet in our own lives, when it comes to our own life of sin, we sit there and go, you are not being rational as well when we do what? Trust, don't trust God, and we sin. We fall into the same thing. And we disobey. The tree she desired to make one wise. What was her desire? To make herself wise. We're going to find out what happens here. So what does she do? She took its fruit. If you want to, it's interesting. She kind of broke her own command. Remember what command she added last week? Not only can we not eat it, but we can't what? Touch it, right? So she already broke her own added command. Let me reach out and touch it. But once she touched it, what did she do? She ate it. 
Before we get to Adam, and we're not going to leave him off the hook here, I want to walk you through how we all sin and struggle, but I'm going to use it in a, a diet situation, all right? So follow this is what happens. So you decide, and I worked through the, the RBC kids, we talked about this, so you'll get a little review, uh, because RBC kids, listen up, just to help you now why you need a review, uh, this wonderful church, I've been telling them the same line all week long and all since March long, and I'm not going to quiz them on how many can remember what that line is that I said every sermon, all right, because we are so prone to forget, all right? It's not because they're not listening. <laughs> it's because what are we prone to? Forget. Now, so here's what happens. How many of you, um, you don't need to raise your hand because I don't want to call you out. How many of you have ever tried to, this is one of those questions that make you go, hmm, all right? How many of you have ever tried to do a diet? All right, well, usually when do we start diets? Tomorrow, right? You know, so if you've ever gotten to tomorrow and you're like, today we're going to start it, right? And then one of the struggles of doing a diet is eventually you have to go buy food, right? And you have to decide, like, what are we doing? And so the way this plays out is you go to the grocery store and there's a whole aisle that is dedicated to candy, all right? And you know that candies and diets don't work. I haven't found a diet yet that says you can eat all the candy you want and still lose weight, all right? And so what happens, though, is we say in our minds, I'm not even going to walk past the candy aisle lest I be tempted to go down it. But the candy aisle, let's say, is aisle eight. You're in aisle one, two, three, you know, and you know the candy aisle is coming, right? And the, and the struggle is going to be you turn the corner. I don't want to walk all the way down. I'm going to actually, I'll just walk down it real quick just to see if there's anything new. And so as you're walking down the candy aisle, you look over and you go, oh, that's something new. I've never seen that before. Let me stop and read about this new candy. And as you're sitting there looking and reading about this new candy, you go, uh, I don't know. This really looks good. All I'm going to do is squeeze the bag a little bit, let some of the air come out so I could maybe like live vicariously through the smell of it all, right? And then you're like, ah. Uh, then you're holding it in your hand, and obviously you know you've always taught your kids whatever you touch, you need to take, right? And so you say, well, I've already touched the bag. I might as well put it in my cart, but I'm not going to buy it. Because when I get to the checkout aisle, I'm going to say to the lady, listen, I don't think I need this anymore. I'll put it, put, well, you can put it back. And so you're going around, and as if the candy is calling out to you, right? Because you're thinking about it. And then maybe you do one of, like some people do, well, maybe I'll get some extra vegetables just in case if I bring that candy home, but I'm not fully committed to bringing the candy home. You finally get to the checkout aisle, and you know what? The lady's really, really busy, and you put it up there, and maybe she scans it without you knowing, and you're like, I don't want to really annoy her, right? But I'll bring it home, and the reason why I'm going to bring it home is because I have some friends coming over, and maybe they'll want candy, because you know it's polite to have candy out for other people, right? And so you finally bring the candy home, and it's sitting there, you're looking at it, and you go, I really shouldn't eat this. But they're coming over in like two weeks, so I, must, I should put it out already, so that way I don't forget it, right? And you put the candy out, and before you know it, you're tempted, and you're going to go, maybe I'll chew on the candy for a little bit, but I'll spit it out, you know, just live vicariously through that. And then before you know it, well, a little bit of it went down your mouth by accident, so I might as well finish the rest of that, but I'm only going to do one for now. And then you do two, three, and before you know it, what have you done? There went the diet but it was just small little steps along the way. This is what Eve is doing right here. She's lingering. 
She's hanging out by it. And as she lingers, as, she hang out, as she's hanging out by it, she is starting to see the deceitful desires of sin playing out, and you see it coming full. But now we have to ask ourselves, but wait a minute. Wasn't there literally a man created in the image of God, given the right and the rule to guard the garden, protect the garden, and make sure the garden flourished? Was he not also given the rule to actually take care of his wife as a helper, literally his own body? Where is this guy? Where's the hero of the day? You almost in your mind are waiting for the hero to come in. The horses are galloping. The white horse with the knight in shining armor ready to come. And before the fruit is eaten, he you know, attacks the serpent, knocks the fruit out of her hand, and we ride on for the rest of eternity with no problems. Is that what's going on here? Sadly, no. Notice where Adam is. Until I studied this many, many years ago, honestly, in my mind, I thought Adam was like three hills over, you know, weeding the garden or something like that, or I don't know what I thought he was doing. And then all of a sudden you look at the text, where is Adam? And she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. Let's think of Adam's role for a moment. This is, it's incredible when we think about this. The woman, nor the serpent tried to tempt Adam. The woman, nor the serpent, tempts Adam. Adam is literally standing right there. Eve, all she does is simply give the fruit to Adam, and what does he do? He eats it. Eve is tempted, and Adam neither approves nor rebukes. He stands there silent. Don't worry, when he, when he has his curse, we will, we will not let him off the hook well. One more thing, though. Eve's sin is a sin of, of initiative, meaning she acted. Adam's is a sin, the sin of acquiescence. The acquiescence, it's a big word to say, accepts the status quo without protest. Now, these sin natures won't play out any more than in the garden here. I'm saying that as tongue-in-cheek as I possibly can, all right? We're going to see this struggle all over humanity. We're going to see this struggle that is happening in the garden play out time after time after time after time. And when we look at when the curses are placed out on the different genders, we will see this struggle happening over and over and over and over again. But what we see here in front of us is Eve being tempted... Adam just passively going along with the whole thing. And so then what happens in verse 7? Then the eyes of both were opened. This did not mean they were eating with their eyes closed. I'm going to help you out there. This is more than their physical eyes, all right? But what we're going to see is their eyes are wide open all of a sudden. Because remember, what was the, what was the allurement was, you can be like God knowing good and evil. Because up until that time, all they had known, if you want to put it in so many words, was good. They hadn't understood this evil thing yet. And now all of a sudden their eyes are open, and what do we see? Immediately their eyes were open, and notice what the text says. And they knew, now they're thinking again, but they knew that they were naked. What in the world is going on here? Because you would think that this thing they so desired, when they finally got this freedom to know the difference between good and evil, they would just ride off in the sunset doing good. 
Why was it that immediately when their eyes are open, do they go to their nakedness? Because the opening of their eyes did not bring the freedom they so desperately wanted. What we find is that the opening of their eyes, the opening of their eyes showed them the deceitful sis, deceitfulness and enslaving power of sin. When their eyes were opened, they were exposed to the allurement and the power of sin. Adam and Eve saw evil and good, and here's what they found. They found the desire to do evil literally ruled in their hearts. The desire to do evil overcame them, and they could no longer in any way, shape, or form do anything more spiritually good. They were now rebellious sinners against God. Because what does man do when immediately he is given that freedom of choice? To choose, what do we find? Rebellion is chosen after rebellion, after rebellion, and all of Adam's descendants, everyone that is a descendant of Adam, has now become, because of their father Adam, a rebellious sinner by very nature of who they are. For error is to be human, and to be a sinner is to be human. All right, Now to be a pre-fallen human, error is not to be human, but now to be human, it is to err. Turn your Bibles real quick to Jeremiah 17.9. In Jeremiah chapter Every time I read this verse, there's a song that I don't even know who sang it, but the song, Listen to Your Heart, uh, when it's calling for you, goes through my mind because that is so opposite of what <laughs> this text would tell you. Please, if you're ever talking to me, please do not listen to your heart, all right? Because Jeremiah is going to tell us, you don't want to listen to your heart, all right? Nor if someone says, oh, just follow your heart, all right? That never ends well. Let's just put it that way, all right? Because here's what Jeremiah in 17.9 reminds us. The heart is deceitful above everything, all right, all things, all right, if you want to know how deceitful is your heart, I would even argue you don't even know how deceitful your heart is because your heart is going to tell you, oh, I'm not deceitful, all right, because that's the point of deceit, all right, you know, think through that for a second, this is why you don't want to follow your heart, you want to follow God, all right, and also shows why we call to the unbeliever, you need a new heart, your heart of stone needs to be taken out because if you follow your heart, you will never follow after God. You will literally go the other way. It continues on, just in case if you didn't understand, deceitful above all things. All right? It says, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Some translations even say desperately wicked. Meaning you don't even get it, how evil your heart is. That is why you must look to Him and Him alone. It's interesting. There's a, a line in Christianity that likes to think that babies are born completely innocent and then it's society that impacts them and causes them to sin. I would argue in Psalm 51 where David is talking, he says literally, in sin my mother conceived me. He's saying he is a sinner from birth. He is not born innocent. That is a lie of John Locke who came up with this idea of blank slate. He was an atheist um, thinker. And he literally said, human beings are born completely neutral, and it's their environment that impacts them. So that's why you're born with a blank slate, and whatever the environment writes on it, that's who you are. So literally the theory was, if you take bad people and you put them in a good environment, they will be good. 
And so that was the huge idea that was the thought that we had bad people, you put them in a beautiful environment that's great, until they went to islands like Tahiti, and when they showed up at these beautiful tropical islands, they found out we can't put this person here because there's actually cannibals that already live here. And that really destroys your idea that living in beautiful places makes you a good person when the tropical island that you're trying to go to to make them look nice is filled with cannibals who are even more depraved <laughs> than the guy you're trying to fix. And so then we do things like this. Instead of giving them the gospel, what they really need, we try to feed them, we try to clothe them, we try to put them in homes, and all that does is have a sinner who hates the things of God that is well-fed, that is well-clothed, and has a home. It doesn't change anything to the human nature. That is why the gospel is the only thing that matters. It's interesting, this whole week we were teaching the RBC kids, literally as Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. We were talking to them about the skill of being content. I did not have to have any doubt in my mind. I did not have to sit there and do a whole lesson on the skill of being a sinner. All right, They were doing that really well on their own. Why? Because by the very nature of being a descendant of Adam, they were skilled at the skill of sinning. What we needed was a whole life change. We needed a group of people that were together as they were memorizing the Word of God to hide it in their hearts so the Word of God would draw them to the only thing that is the answer, which is God and God alone. Now, when we think through this here, back to our text in Genesis chapter 3. In a Sunday school class, we're going to try to, we're going to work through um, this fall, God and evil, and what do we do with all of that type of thing, you know, how does... How does evil come about and all of that? But the answer to it at the end of the day, and I, and I will give you the answers to it, but I'm not trying to spoil my own answer to the answer of God and evil. At the end of the day, we will leave with this line. When it comes to why did God allow evil, you know, like why not pick another plan, why not do all these other things, I would end with a phrase that maybe you've heard one or two times before we move to point three. The phrase goes like this, everything God does is perfectly wise and the fittest means to accomplish everything he has decreed. This was the best way. I don't understand it all, hence the term why I'm not God. <laughs> God does. How does all of this bring him ultimate glory at the end? Only God knows. But we don't try to get him off the hook for things that the Word of God clearly says that He has decreed, the beginning from the end. But what is our responsibility? To boldly stand and proclaim the truth to a lost and dying world that He is the only one who saves. Yeah, you could get yourselves in Gordian knots tied up all sorts of which way here or there. But the message is pretty clear. It's interesting here, in point number three that we're going to end with here, Adam and Eve... We're naked. We've seen that phrase not too many chapters ago. The end of chapter 2 says they were naked and unashamed. Now we hear that they are naked and ashamed. Well, what happened? <laughs> A lot happened. What happened was the rebellion against Almighty God exposed to them their sinfulness before a holy God. The need for clothing, the need to cover themselves, is a reminder of God's holiness and their sinfulness. Man, by very nature of being a sinner, runs from the things of God. Man, by very nature, does not run to the things of God unless his nature is changed. Because mankind is literally, as Paul's going to go on and, ex and explain for us, we are dead in our transgressions of sin and by very nature haters of God. 
What are they running from? They are running from God. But what are they going to find out? They're not doing a very good job of running because in their trying to cover themselves, look what they used. They're going to sew fig leaves together and they made for themselves a loincloth. The loincloths are literally just covering the basics, as basic as you can get out of a fig leaf. And if anyone knows anything about a fig leaf, it's not going to stick around for too long. All right, A day or two later, it's going to be dried up and the loincloth is going to be no more. And they don't have any protection. And all of this points to one day the perfect Adam is going to come. And he's going to deal with the issue of sin. He's going to deal with the issue of death. And what we even see now and what we're going to see even in a more beautiful time. We see this now because it's a reality now and it'll be a reality and to come. You, you and I are not needing to be clothed with fig leaves. Nor does even this clothing here save me. But because of Christ's death on the cross and His dying and raising from the dead, He now offers through faith justification to all who would believe in Him. And what is justification? It is removal of sin as if you had never sinned. And it's not just the removal of sin, but it is clothing you in Christ's righteousness. So those in this room who have been saved by faith, literally when God sees you, He sees His own Son's righteousness, not your filthiness. And there's nothing you're going to do to be able to somehow keep that on. It's because God is the one who saves you, and it is God is the one who keeps you. Because in this beautiful picture of it all, what Adam is going to try to do, what does God do? Adam fails miserably. All right? Like, my prayer is that when we go through the rest of the curses, you are going to go, Adam was a failure. To the point you go, like, he's really a failure really a failure. Like, you know, like, you were given one thing to do, and what did you do? You failed it. Like, literally, there's whole entertainment things on you had one job, all right? And you can watch people, they had one job, and what did they do? Failed, all right? You're going to go, you didn't have too many other things there, Adam, right? But because the whole Bible is not about Adam, it's about who? Christ. Because when you put Christ and Adam together, Adam shouldn't even be on the same field as the Almighty God. But here's what we many times miss. We get so caught up with the story of Jesus that we forget what Jesus is doing is every single thing that Adam failed at, Jesus what? Did more and better. That is why literally Hebrews is all about Jesus is better. Better than anything else you guys thought. You thought the priesthood was good, Jesus is better than that. You thought the angels were good, Jesus is better than that. You thought Moses was a great guy, Jesus is better than that. And the whole rest of the story of the Bible is Jesus is better than that. The Messiah is going to be better than that. That is why you look to Him and Him alone for salvation. That's why we gather here and we don't gather here at the table to think about ourselves. We gather here to think about Christ's unbelievable gift and saving grace that He has bestowed on us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died and so, we look and say, what did we learn today? I pray this first, that you've learned the deceitfulness and the power of sin, that you really grasp that, that sin is deceiving, and sin has a power that when it lays its fallon, get clang, or what am I trying to say, fallons, or not talons, talons, there's too many words bouncing around, all right? The talons of it in your life, when it takes a grip and hold, which it has on all those who do not know Christ, only a whole new birth is needed. And then for those of us who know Christ, 
The Holy Spirit has the power to destroy any impacting sin in your life. But do we look to him? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us every day, by the continual renewing of our mind daily, that way we can know what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because what is sin going to cause us to do? To not know what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And last but not least, that man is helpless with dealing with the problem of sin. That is why we must. That is why the marching orders of this church must be to go to a lost and dying world and point them to their only Savior that they have. It is not a political party, it is not a political scheme, it is not a good economy, it is nothing other than the only thing they've ever needed, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him risen and living in their lives. The, the task is daunting, but not daunting. It's a, it's a dual little thing. Because remember Paul would say all the time, Paul, the Apostle Paul prayed for boldness to speak the truth. And our prayer as well as that we would boldly speak the truth. But in order to do that, we must have our minds renewed daily to speak the truth and to not be drawn away by the deceitfulness of sin. We're going to pray now, and in a moment we're going to gather around the table to remind ourselves of the beauty of this salvation that God offers. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you that it is you, you, in you and you alone that we run to. As Eve and her mind and Adam, as he passively stood there, decided that they knew best. Help us to realize it is you who knows. It is your word that we run to. Help us now, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. You